What is up? What is good? How you living? How you doing? It is the L-E-F-K-O-E. Man, and I am in sunny and early Los Angeles. Westbrook seems to be in a white void, and Ingber's at his new house. I'm out here for a shoot for underrated, so I figured we should still do the pod, especially because I don't know if you guys know, but the Philadelphia Eagles beat the San Francisco 49ers last night. <laughs> Can we just, Ingber, I know we, you, you, you did a great run through. We're going to get to it. But Westbrook, I would have bet anything that they lost that game last night. And they, that's unreal. It's unreal that they had the wherewithal to come back and win. You know, I think Carson plays better with no-name guys. That's just what it is. He plays better with no-name guys, Get guys that have no name, not the, the household names, not the Deshaun Jackson, not the Rager. He just plays better with just guys. Bro, who caught that touchdown? Who caught that touchdown? Which one, the last one? Yeah. Was, I, I, Exactly. Nobody knows. I, I, Nobody I don't knows remember his name. They're just guys. They're just people. No, like I'm being serious. Like I don't know his name right now. I know that. Nobody. That's my point. Nobody knows him because he was on the practice squad of some other team and doing special teams stuff like that. Nobody knows. It's 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 a it's a. Do you have the name for me, Ingber? I'm looking for it right now. It was like a Homer or <laughs> yeah. something. It was the name. Barham or something remember. like that. Barham, yeah. I mean, a touchdown reception from a guy that I had never heard of, and they got an interception gifted to them to Alex Singleton, a Canadian football league player. And that, that to me, though, was such a big win just for Carson. For, it was a good Carson game. And, and it was more proof that, you know, when you have nobody, he can be the only guy on offense that can actually get you a win. And I feel like we needed a reminder. That felt like the last four games of last year. Ingram, what's the Travis Fulgham? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know, you know what that game was to me. I, I thought Carson played well. I still think he can play much better. He's able to use his legs, a la Josh Allen. Sometimes Justin Herbert. Some of these young quarterbacks that we see in the league, uh, uh, Joe Burrow, using his legs a little bit, throwing the ball well. I, I just think that his ability to make plays outside of the pocket continues to show through and that's what Doug Peterson has to, to to build off of not trying to turn him to this guy that's going to be in the pocket throwing the football all the time bro that's what I thought was so smart was they like bootleg the Niners yeah. to death it was like we don't have faith in anything so we're just going to bootleg every single play I think that if they play each other 10 times the Niners win nine because I think on nine of those games that first leak out to Kyle Juszczyk goes for yeah. 90 yards and a touchdown. A the game. Eagles are instantly down seven, nothing instead of him dropping or like bad throw. Um, but it's just, I also love being in the NFC East where we suck so much. And yet we have a chance to win the division and the, the Cowboys are an onside kick away for being a one four yeah, right sure. now. And it, it's, I don't know. It's a blessing. It really is. Like everybody can make fun of us, but you know it's what a I saw yesterday. I, I thought Carson, and you talk about that touchdown pass to this kid. We don't even know his name. His balls looked different yesterday. Looked like he put more arc on the ball to kind of give it more of a Russell Wilson feel. You know how Russell Wilson throws a ball with a lot of arc on it, and it kind of just falls right in the basket. Carson usually has more velocity, more of a straight line thrower. And and yesterday his balls looked different as far as the arc on them. Just and it fell right in. It was a perfect ball, obviously great placement, but it just looked different. He looked different as far as his confidence throwing some of those passes yesterday. It made all the difference in the world. But more importantly than that, 
you know, he had the early pick. Obviously, it was it was too early in the game to have a big effect on it. But the defense coming up with turnovers, obviously the pick six uh, from Mullins, who was had been accurate before every game before this uh, was good. But getting turnovers defensively, that's the name name of the game now in the NFL. If you're not producing turnovers defensively, unless you have an elite quarterback, you just can't win games. So. Let's go big picture, get out of Eaglesville really quick. I had a very unique NFL experience because my flight to California yesterday was at 2.55, which meant I got in the car at 1. So literally from 1 until Sunday night, I was watching on my phone on the NFL Red Zone app. And normally I'm a six-screen guy. And then yesterday I was a Red Zone guy. And I I just want to give a shout-out, one, to Scott Hansen for being an absolute fucking legend that I, I'm just going to say it right now. Hanson over Siciliano, I think they're both great. But I'm, I'm on the flight. I'm, I got some, I'm illegally streaming on the flight. Uh, and I'm, I'm pumping my fist. Uh, I've never watched like that. Do you guys ever watch like just Red Zone? Has that ever been, like, it was actually very enjoyable, Ingber. Yeah, uh, when I was writing for Rich Eisen's show on Epics last year, I had to watch every single highlight of every game. So I was just straight up watching Red Zone as much as I could. And I am a big, big Chris Hansen believer. I will, I will ring Scott, the bell. Scott, Chris Hansen's the guy that walks into your kitchen when you're Scott doing Hansen, things you're not you're supposed so to be right. I don't know where that brain fart just happened. but Scott Hansen, you what in your house? Chris Hansen, you don't. <laughs> I have never illegally streamed Chris Hansen, but I have illegally streamed Scott Hansen at different times in my life. But he's so good. He keeps the action going. He makes jokes. He's smooth. He's got the like three different volumes in his head going at the same time. We have the slight Saints volume and you have the slight Raiders volume fading in. I love it. Yes. And Westbrook can attest to this. I grew up on Scott Hansen because he was a team reporter for the Eagles back in the day. And he was like the young whippersnapper, right, Westbrook? I worked for the NFL Network briefly, and he was there, and we always had a great time. Of course, we had that that connection in Philadelphia. For him to be able to be on TV all day long, rarely ever using the bathroom with that type of excitement, because at some point those games get going towards the fourth quarter, those 1 o'clock games, and he can't move. That means he can't drink. He can barely eat. I mean, it's hard to do that in, on, on any given Sunday. He does it for 17-plus weeks straight. I mean, it's pretty impressive. Ingber, when you went through, and I know you were looking at all the articles and stuff, what do you think was – what was the big storyline, just the fact that the games were moving? The fact that, like, the Titans game and the Vikings and, and the Steelers – I mean, I, and the, the Chiefs and the Patriots, like, we're recording this Monday and we're going to have two Monday night football games. I just – Westbrook, what – I feel like Ingrid, that was a tough story. Westbrook, what um, what do you think that's like for these routine-based athletes? Like right now, the Patriots are traveling to Kansas City to play on Monday Night Football, and they didn't know that was going to happen on Sunday. You know what's funny? Because again, the routine is so important to athletes. And you think about it, you you know, you work usually Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You have a walkthrough Saturday. You play Sunday, and so throughout the week, you're kind of ramping yourself up mentally and physically so that you can peak on Sunday. And so taking a Sunday game, moving it to Monday, so you're ramping yourself up. Friday, you kind of get the news with where teams are, you know, you're learning about these tests, positive tests. Saturday, the game is going to move. Now your body doesn't know necessarily how to feel. And so you're kind of up and down. And then they didn't really know that the game was going to be on until this morning. They had to take a test this morning before they got on the flight. If so, a couple of those guys failed the test, 
they wouldn't be flying out uh, this morning. And so it's kind of an up and down feeling. It's hard to stay focused. And, and I know it's kind of weird. A lot of people are like, well, how can't. My question is, you talked about ramping up. Do you ramp down when you think you're not Absolutely. having a game? There's no doubt about it. And, and this is the this is the thing. As soon as you find out that you may not be playing, you're like, ah, and, and you take the, a, a deep breath. You're not you're not thinking about the game anymore. When you're half, when you have to play, you're so laser focused on playing and winning that you say, hey, the game's not on, or it may be in limbo. Now you're not as focused. Now you can call your, your your friends. Now you can hang out with your boys a little bit. You're not focused on the game. It changes your thought process. It's just hard to do. And it's also hard to fly out the day of the game and then play a game that night. It's just hard to do that. I've done it before, but it's not a, it's not an ideal situation. Uh, Ingber, from the games that actually happened on Sunday, what did you see were like the top stories that everybody was talking about? Uh, Odell Beckham's explosion and him finally being the weapon that the Browns were always hoping they, that he would be when they got him from the Giants, that was just all over Twitter. I want to say my wild card Cleveland Browns slash three teams from the AFC North predictions looking pretty good right yeah. now. Sexy. Three and one. And I... I'm not. I'm waiting for one of the TV shows this morning to debate who throws a better ball, Jarvis Landry or Baker Mayfield, because the answer is Jarvis Landry. Like that was a cannon, dude. Jarvis has a a strong arm. We've seen him do this exact play several different times. You, I, I, I'm gonna tell you, I love the way that the Browns play. More importantly, I love the way that they get in the run game involved and kind of taking the game out of Baker's hands a bit. But I, I think the bigger story in that game is how bad the Dallas Cowboys' defense is. I mean, you're spending all this money offensively and different things and uh, draft picks, but how bad can your defense be? You're giving up over 30 points almost every game this season. I think the first game you played the Rams, you gave up 20, but all the other games, you're giving up 33, 35-plus points. I mean, it's embarrassing, and, and Dak made a little comeback there, so that was cool, but having a defense this bad uh, in the NFL, even if you're in the NFC least, it's just hard to win games, and we saw it again yesterday against a team that, that has a bunch of talent in Cleveland Browns. Well, Westbrook, that's why I said last Monday, just bet Cowboys yeah. overs because they they have the perfect over mix of the offense that has so many weapons. I mean, Dalton Schultz is out here looking like a stud tight end, and their defense is so bad. Every game this year is going to be 31-30, yeah. every single game. And I think there's a few things. I believe that Dak Prescott right now is on pace for like 6,000 yards, like something insane like that. And this is what I hoped for. I hoped for the amazing Dak season that puts Jerry Jones in the contract bind. Um, because you can't put, as Ingber texted us yesterday, any of that on Dak. 500 yards, well, five hold touchdowns. On, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me, let me ask you this. Because I, I think a lot of those yards, which a lot of people have been saying last season – a lot of his yards come up in mop-up time where they're trying to come back, which really is going to be the, the story of their season this year because their defense is so bad. They're giving up a bunch of points. But there's a couple of times in this game where Dak has to be more accurate, a couple of times where he has to be better as far as throwing the ball in the first half where the game doesn't have to get out of hand. So you have to make this miracle comeback. I mean, a lot of these throws, and, and listen, I'm a Dak supporter. I want him to be better in the first half so that you don't have to have these crazy comebacks in the second half, which really a lot of his yards and touchdowns come from. I, I don't want to take away from the fact that the Browns are 3-1. and one. And they actually have a huge matchup next week. Three and one Browns taking on the three and one Colts. 
So the two teams that I was really high on before the year, and I think they both looked great. Cleveland's now scored over 34 points in three straight games. But when you say the names of the team out loud, it stops you. Bengals, Washington, and then this Dallas defense. Uh, I think the scary thing is in those same games, they've allowed 88 points. And I don't think Joe Burrow and Dwayne Haskins should be doing that. But um, I'm a – I don't know. I feel like in a game in which you drop 49 points, I still didn't feel that confident in Baker Mayfield. Like I, I still thought the the game winner was a reverse to Odell Beckham. You know, it wasn't the ball in Baker's hands, but uh, like you said, they're a run based team. You know, they're uh, they're and it'll be interesting with Nick Chubb being out. But that that was definitely Hunt went off yesterday. I mean, they have obviously we saw the big run from Odell Beckham Jr. But when you think about the Browns, I mean, they have eleven plus twenty runs. The closest team is the Ravens. They have six. I mean. They have more yards rushing than the Ravens, who obviously we know what what uh, Lamar Jackson does, and 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 those guys that they have Ingram and Dobbins, those guys can run the football. But the Browns have to be this. This is Kevin Stefanski's stamp on his football team of being a run based team and making Baker a more manageable quarterback. Meaning he has to manage the game a little bit, and and, and those play action passes that he's getting now. It reminds me of Kyle Shanahan's offense a little bit. These are play-action passes off the run that are easier throws. Now, he missed some easy ones yesterday, but, I mean, he made some good throws yesterday, good, confident, step-up-in-the-pocket throws on the run as well as in the pocket. That's what that's what Baker Mayfield, Mayfield should be. He shouldn't be the guy that has to go try to win the game. He should be the guy that says, you know, I'm going to hand off, hand off, and then we're going to do some play-action passes and throw the ball down the field that way. That's what he should do. That eliminates a turnover. He um, hasn't had a turnover in, in the last couple of games. That's the most important part for Baker, actually. So, again, we're recording this on Monday, and there can be two more 4-0 teams. The Kansas City Chiefs can win tonight. The Packers can win tonight. But now there are two 4-0 teams that are currently existing. The Buffalo Bills, they go into Las Vegas. They beat the Raiders. Josh Allen gets hurt, comes back. Uh, overall, though, looks really solid. And the other one, of course, being Seattle, Russell Wilson. Just a little note on 4-0 teams. Um, since 2002, of the 53 teams that have started 4-0, 44 of them have made the playoffs. Uh, 16 have reached the Super Bowl, and 4-0 teams have won 12 games on average. Yesterday felt like to me with Seattle and Buffalo, two games in which maybe in years past they drop, but they figure out a way to get it done. And, and like, you know, Russell Wilson started off really slow in Miami. And then at the end, it's the Russell Wilson show. And Josh Allen still does dumb Josh Allen stuff. Like, I don't know if you guys saw it, but at the end of the game, they're in victory formation and he trips falling out of the snap and tries to hand it off. And it was, it was literally the, the miracle of the Meadowlands when they fumble and the Eagles return it for the touchdown. But who, who, do, you, who do you have more confidence in? Westbrook, the Bills or the Seahawks, right? You have to go the uh, Seahawks just because of Russ. I mean, I'm seeing Russ, you you know, these last years, and I don't know, pretty much all his career, I felt like he's been hamstrung by the offensive coordinator deciding to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. And this year kind of seems like they're airing it out a little bit more. I I saw a pass yesterday. They must have been on the 40-yard line or so. He's rolling to his left, and he throws it on the run to David Moore. 50 yards in the air. I mean, this is an amazing throw by Russell Wilson. We've seen this before. Obviously, you see all the catches, the deep throws to Metcalf and, and all the guys on the team. But I feel like he's controlling the game more. And they still have a run game. 
And so they now have the ability to score more points. They're not a 23, 24 point a game type of team. They can get into the 30s. And I think because of their defense not being great, just being okay, I think you're going to need to be able to do that. So I, I would go with Russell because he has more experience. But you can't deny what Josh Allen's done. I mean, look at the arm talent. Look at the ability to run. He stands in the pocket, makes good decisions for the most part. There are still some decisions that I think he should have back, but he will want back. But, I mean, the arm strength alone and the confidence getting the ball down the field to digs, I mean, it's just hard to, to, to beat that uh, when you have that type of talent and the run game. Sean McDermott, there's a couple teams. I'll, I'll give you an example. The, 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 uh, the Carolina Panthers and the Bills, they, they don't have the best talent in the world, but they have hard-nosed coaches that go out there and it feels if you love Mike Davis. I love so Mike Davis. Much. I love Mike Davis. I, I think he I think he's a talk about your love no, for I Mike mean, Davis. I mean, listen, he runs the ball hard. He's a hard-nosed back. He gets in the hole. He's no it's no games about it. It's about getting downhill. And listen, when you when you are without Christian McCaffrey, you think you're gonna just lose everything. But Mike Davis, Teddy Bridgewater completing the ball down the field, it's looked good. It's worked. Uh, but those two teams, you're talking about Carolina and, and Buffalo. The coaches, Do you love, love the Mike coaches. Davis because he's 5'9"? Well, I'm 5'10". Five, I'm five Does ten. that help? So he's a little bit sh- I'm little just bit saying you're in the same neighborhood. <laughs> I, I, I love, I like love you- smaller guys. But I, more important than smaller guys, I love guys that just want to knock somebody in the mouth. And that's Mike Davis. He he wants to hit somebody in the mouth and make the defender pay. I like I like seeing backs that, that have the ability to do that. I couldn't do that. I was too small. But Mike Davis is, I mean, he's just hard to tackle. That's what he is. Listen, so the Panthers 2-0 with Mike Davis, 0-2 with Christian McCaffrey. <laughs> it is a funny statistic. But I am curious because I felt like we saw this with Raheem Mostert. We've seen this before. Mike Davis now, 27 years old, started off with the Niners, Two years there, two years with the Seahawks. Then he goes to the Bears. Now he's on the Panthers. How does this happen, Westbrook? Same thing with Raheem Mostert, where he's on like eight different yeah. teams. How is it that when a guy is clearly talented, and yet it takes a situation where a guy goes down for six weeks for us to go, okay, he's a guy now? Like, wh- why does that well, happen? He's been overlooked everywhere he's been. I mean, he's been he's been pigeonholed into a volume type of back, a guy that needs a ball 15, 20 times. Uh, to be successful. And, and I don't know that that's true. I think he can be successful without getting the ball that many times, but he's a hard nosed runner. He people believe that now you have to have a back that has the ability to catch the ball and run it out of the backfield. And Mike Davis can catch, but he, that's not his thing. He's been yeah, catching he great. Well, but I mean, it's not necessarily the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of Mike Davis. I think of go knock somebody in the mouth. That's Mike Davis hand the ball off to him 15, 20 times a game. That's what I think of. It's not a lot of teams in the league that have yeah. one running back now that they do that with. And he's continuously been overlooked uh, by, by by people, but he's a great backup. He's also a guy who's proven now that he can be a starter in the league and do well. Saints made me feel better about picking them to do well yesterday. They kind of put it all together. The Panthers, though, for me, are the one team that I have been very pleasantly surprised by, mainly because when I looked and saw they were going to have seven rookies starting on defense – uh, while I love Teddy Bridgewater, I had my doubts there. But to see what, what they've done with Robbie Anderson and keeping that offense flowing has been great. Uh, but there was one new addition in the NFC South that showed out yesterday. Five touchdowns. And his name is Tom Brady. What are they saying, Mr. Ingber, about Tom Brady 
after what were they on twenty one to seven of the Chargers they with a pick six? Seven, and it was almost twenty four seven. Actually, he did make a field goal. They were down twenty four seven. Then there was that annoying fumble right before halftime that allowed them to make it twenty four fourteen, much more manageable heading into the locker room. But it did feel like yesterday was sort of like a last stand by the old guard as all these young quarterbacks like Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson were doing their thing. It was like Breeze was putting up 35 points. Fitzpatrick was diving for first downs. Rivers is three and one in first place. And Tom Brady, this is the best stat from yesterday. 43-year-old Tom Brady has set the all-time record as the oldest player to have three-plus pass uh, TDs in back-to-back games. He breaks the record previously held by Tom Brady, (laughs) who also did it at 41 in 2018. That's from uh, NFL Research on Twitter. Amazing stat. Tom Brady, you know, so the first week we saw, obviously, the connection between him and Mike Evans was not very good. I, I think he's found his way. They, they, they're almost the same exact route. The little skinny post that you're trying to figure out a way to get inside of cover two, inside that safety, right behind the linebacker. They perfected that. I, I, I text you guys yesterday, and I, I just wondered, you know, how good – could have Tom Brady have been, and we're talking about a quarterback that's been in nine Super Bowls, won six. What if he had a weapon like Mike Evans his entire career, like every single game? We saw Gronk have a big catch there towards the end of that game. But, I mean, and it was, so we know how dominant Gronk was. But what if he had a guy like Mike Evans his entire career? And obviously, instead of guys, the mid-range guys like Edelman and Wells Welker, things like that, what if he had an outside guy all the time, every single game? How, I mean, what the – you're asking, what if he had Randy Moss? And we saw what happened when he had Randy Moss, and he was pretty freaking awesome. It's weird. It's weird to see that, especially now. But, you know, I made a comment on Twitter, and people, you know, at the time when I said it at the beginning of the games, it made sense. The older quarterbacks are getting played differently with defenses kind of surrounding the box within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage and, and saying, listen, if you're going to beat me, throw the deep ball and beat me that way because they didn't think the older quarterbacks, Drew Brees, sometimes Phillip Rivers, Tom Brady, couldn't get the ball down the field. Then Tom Brady just breaks off a couple throws. I think it was to Miller, 46 yards down the field. I mean, just these are just great throws, great placement, great catches as well. Tom Brady still has a little bit of arm left in him. Um, and, and I, there was a couple times last year I just doubted that he had it, but I mean, he seems to still have the ability to throw the ball. I think that yesterday for me, as the music here gets louder outside the one hotel, is that it looks how are Brady and Arians and Byron Leftwich meshing this quickly? That's what I'm amazed at, and I also think that when you factor in that. The Chargers scored two touchdowns on bombs and another one on an interception return. And those things are typically not sustainable. You know, like interception return, like to win a game in which your team throws a pick six, it's, I think you're on the bad side of 80% Mm -hmm. on that one. Um, But I I think that this Bucks defense, that, that was another game where it felt like the Seahawks game where it was like the Bucks just showed you that they are very much for real. And I think that, we're seeing a different type of Tom Brady because of the offense. Bruce Arians is more of that downfield striking offense. And I think when I, when I look back at Josh McDaniels and what the Patriots are, is they want to beat you in space. It's a lot of short throws. And I think after a while, when you just see Tom Brady throwing short all the time, you begin to think in your head that he can't yeah. throw long, which is a little bit like what we're having with Drew Brees. And I think that of, out of all the older quarterbacks – Tom Brady's the one whose arm looks the best. Like Phillip Rivers is still out there shot putting and trying to get it to, to T.Y. Hilton, and it's, it doesn't look great. Drew Brees is crow hopping into steps. Um, 
Matt Ryan still looks weak in the pocket. But out of all of them, Tom Brady is the one who has the zip. And I, I was not expecting to say that at this point. Yeah, I wasn't but the fact that it seems like they've already figured it out and that, and that Bruce Arians came out, I believe, yesterday and said last year we lose that game by 20. Um, it's, I, I'm, I'm more and more falling in love with the Tampa Bay. One of the reasons I like Tampa Bay's offense Obviously, because Tom and, and I'm I'm surprised that you you're surprised how quickly they came together. You have an all pro receiver in Mike Evans. You have a great mind, offensive line uh, mind in uh, Byron Leftwich and Bruce Arians, and you have a Hall of Famer, one of the the best quarterback ever, in Tom Brady. I'm surprised that you're you're actually surprised that it took a little bit uh, quicker than you thought. The- Mainly just because whenever we see a big new piece added to an offense, that the first six games of the year yeah. suck. When Odell got to Cleveland, it sucked. When, um, uh, I mean, right now, the Cardinals offense is bad. And it's because I think Kyler Murray's trying to force feed it to DeAndre Hopkins. I know it's different with There's the quarterback. There's big time difference. The, but that, especially when it's that's Tom the Brady. The quarterback is a difference. And, and I think the other part is this year for that, that Bucks offense, Ronald Jones, he looks like a different dude out there from last year. 20 carries, 111 yards, I think, yesterday. Six receptions. I mean, he had a good game, but he, he looks physically looks different. Obviously, LaShawn McCoy plays a little bit. But Ronald Jones in that run game is allowing Tom Brady to get those passes to the tight end, O.J. Howard, trying to get those passes downfield to Mike Evans. To me, this is a great uh, offense. It's it's put together well. And Tom Brady, if he has this ability to throw the ball down the field and attack defenses in that way all season long, this guy, Ronald Jones, he'll, he'll continue to have success running the football. That makes it easier on Tom Brady as the season goes on. Nice little interesting schedule coming up. Uh, Bucks go to the Bears next week. Actually, that's going to be on Thursday night. So it'll be Nick Foles versus Tom Brady on Thursday night. And after what I saw from the Bears offense yesterday, uh, that Bucks defense could have a field day. But then after that, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, four o'clock on a Sunday. Nick, that's going to Nick be Foles is beautiful. done, man. I mean, I, and I like Nick Foles. Obviously, he brought a, a, a Super Bowl to our city. We we understand that, but. Uh, he's a he's one of those guys that is a better backup quarterback that comes in and saves a day than a starter. I mean, I think he's proven that throughout his entire career. He's going to be great when he comes in to save the day. But if he has to start, I, I, I can't put money on him. Counterpoint. Counterpoint. He faced the Colts yesterday, who I tried to tell everybody their defense yep. was for real. They've allowed 29 points in the last three games. So that's one thing. I think that Nick Foles is somewhere between came in the second half and faced the shitty Falcons defense and then had to prepare to be the starter against the Colts mm-hmm. defense. Because I, I, I really want people to understand that DeForest Buckner and Darius Leonard in the middle of that Colts defense will fuck up any running game. that you Like those two guys will fuck up any running game. But I, I feel like Nick Foles is somewhere between them. Um, and it... To me, also in that Colts Bears game, I was like, "Man, Allen Robinson can really do whatever the hell he wants," Ooh. and I can't wait for the. I, I'm, I'm saying this as someone that I'm not going to consider myself a friend of Allen Robinson, but I do think that I talked to him enough, and I, I, I want him to real. I know that Bears fans want the Bears to extend him. I want Allen Robinson to go full free agency. I want Allen Robinson to experience life. Allen Robinson to me is like the 40 year old virgin. He doesn't even know what's out there. He's never experienced anything. 
He's had Christian Hackenberg, Blake Bortles, Mitchell Trubisky, Nick Foles. Like, I want Allen Robinson to go and, like, be the face of the New York Jets. I, I want, you know what I mean? I want him to really get wined and dined. Because when I see him jump over Colts defenders yesterday with balls that he's hit, I just want happiness to come into that guy's life. His ability to go get it. I mean, I was just thinking earlier today about uh, DK Metcalf and some of these young receivers that just have the ability to jump over people and just bully people. Allen Robertson certainly is in that in that same category. Um, it's been impressive to watch. I was thinking back. Randy was a little bit different. Obviously, the Moss deal, but he wasn't a strong physical dude like that. He was just. DK gives me T.O. Absolutely. And he's a little bit bigger. He's taller than T.O. And I and I would I would and I know T.O. would hate me if I said this, but I think he may be a touch faster than T.O. too. He, he seems like a more natural catcher than T.O. But I mean, his ability to make people mm. just just look small out there and slow. It's been impressive to watch. Now, let's give T.O. his props. I think T.O. is more dangerous with the ball in his hands. They, 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 they seem to run different routes. If, I feel like DK Metcalf is an outside receiver where – and now, now T.O. play outside. Yes. I'm not saying that he didn't, but a lot of his balls seem like go balls, deep, uh, skinny posts, things like that. T.O. worked the middle of the field, caught the ball, smushed the safety, and then ran. That's what T.O. did. I, I, I'll never forget this play. We were in Denver. We were almost on the goal line. You know, we had 99 yards to go versus Champ Bailey out there on the, on the right side. Don fakes the ball to me, gets the ball to T.O. Like on a little smoke route. He barely did anything. He jukes Champ Bailey, who was the best cornerback in the league at that time, and then goes 99. And you're just watching it like, ooh. I mean, it, it, he has that type of power, power, experience, and speed. Same thing for D.K. Metcalf. I think as he develops his game, the sky's the limit for this young guy. Um. Ingber, what are they saying about uh, Houston right now as they start off 0-4? And I would like to say again, I predicted that too. I didn't predict 0-4, but I predicted the epic Houston collapse. Did because I not, Ingber? Because D-Hop yeah, yeah. is gone? Is that why? That's why you thought that? No, my, my, main, my main reasoning was their defense because they lost so many guys, the Kareem Jacksons, the Jonathan Josephs, the leaders of those yeah. in the back end. And when I looked on their D-line, I was like, all they have is J.J. Watt. And I was like, and I've been watching J.J. Watt the last two years look Aging old and slow. Yep. And, but, but I feel like people have been waiting to come for Bill O'Brien for three years, but he keeps getting into the playoffs. So I'm curious what they're saying when they start 0-4. Right. The big story from them is just, it started with uh, our friend Master Tesfatsian on Twitter. He, he had the tweet that just said the Texans are 0-4 the Dolphins own their first and second round picks. It was one of those really shocking sentences where you're like, oh, right, they sold everything in order to make their team good right now. When you're 0-4 and you don't have the ability to rebuild quickly, that's that's brutal for the fan base. Uh, someone from uh, Mike Sando from The Athletic wrote this, and I think it's important to put that into perspective. That was a battle yesterday of two 0-3 mm -hmm. teams. Minnesota did not look really good. They, their offense is finally coming like alive. offense. But Houston lost to Minnesota, which was 0-3, and could not practice fully last week because of a COVID scare. Then they had to travel to Houston with a remade secondary, ill-suited for defending true number one receivers. Their secondary stinks. And Harrison Smith got ejected halfway through the game. You lost to an 0-3 Minnesota team that couldn't practice all week because of a COVID scare, and they lost Harrison Smith like – 
and Bill O'Brien before the game came out and said, I'm going to take over play calling duties. <laughs> it's just Bill O'Brien. I, I don't know like, if he survives I, I, it's this season. hard for him to survive, especially. But who's going to fire him? Isn't he also yes, the GM? The, the owner's going to have to do it. But here's the problem. You have a quarterback, young quarterback. You, you're taking away pieces. Obviously, D-Hop, you take him away. They still have some good receivers um, down there. But you can't protect your quarterback. I mean, he's getting hit too many doggone times, man. And, and and I don't care who's back there playing quarterback. Unless you're Big Ben, unless you're one of those types of guys, then it's just hard to be in the pocket and getting beat up every single week and be effective throwing the ball down the field. Um, as far as accuracy goes, as far as not having your eyes down and missing throws because you're looking at the blitz and the rush. Deshaun Watson has to be protected. That's the number one thing. You have to win in the trenches up front. Bill O'Brien has neglected that. And, and Deshaun Watson continues to get beat up game in or game out. It's, it's, that's not how you win football games at all. I was just looking up because I saw the fight between Golden Tate and Jalen Ramsey. And I, I didn't realize it's because that Jalen uh, Ramsey, I guess, has kids with a Golden Tate's Ooh. relative. His like sister, Brianna I Tate. think. I think it's like his... his I kind of vaguely remember that. And so then he, he got like the perfect hit on Golden Tate during the game. Then they fought on the field afterwards. And then Jalen Ramsey apparently was waiting by the locker room after yeah. the game. And there, there, there's not a lot of times that the personal stuff spills onto the field like that. And I'm curious, Westbrook, have you ever been in a game where you saw one dude all week being like, I'm going to destroy this guy because of something that happened off the field? No, I've, I've never been around that. Like personal vendettas? No, no, not like off the field. Have you ever seen someone wait outside of a locker room to yes, try and find somebody? So, I don't know if you remember this guy, Reggie Brown, wide receiver, right? Uh, that, that played with us. Number 86, 86. first round pick yeah. out of Georgia, second round he pick out of good, Georgia. He was a great route runner, but he just didn't pan out all the way as far as in the NFL. Um, we were playing Washington, and he was on the punt team for some reason, rushing the punt, and he came off the sideline. This is at the very end of the game. <laughs> he come out, he said, Wes, the punter spit in my face. I'm about to go fight him. I'm like, all right, cool. Let's go fight him. And so now we're walking across the field, and I'm and Reggie just takes off. So I'm I'm dying laughing. We win the game. I'm dying laughing. And he goes and tries to fight the punter. Literally tries to go and fight him at the end of the game because he said he's spit, spit in his face. We go to the locker room. He's the first one getting dressed. He's head straight to their locker room to try to find the punter. Which I'm I'm who knows what the punters look like. Nobody knows what a punter's face looked like. He has no clue who this guy is. But Reggie Brown, Reggie Brown was the only teammate that I ever saw uh, do that. I've seen guys on my own team uh, come to blows out their game. Out that game, we won. No, uh, about to come to blows out that their game. Really? Uh, two of my favorite guys that I played with, too. So it was, I've been a part of those types of things, but uh, never an opponent waiting at the bus or anything like that. I it, To me, Ingber, I always think of like, what was it, Clippers, Rockets, where they were like trying to fight in the locker room and all that stuff, and the police got called. Yeah, it was Chris Paul was deeply yeah. involved, right? And it was like he knew this secret yeah. back tunnel because he had played on yeah. the Clippers. It was kind of the, one of those goofy yeah. stories that everyone... There was another time when KG and, I, and Melo got into it, right? In the garden. Right, that got really... And it got, yeah, they said some it, things uh, about, you know, Melo's wife, which is obviously inappropriate all the time. So, yeah, it, it got nasty. Have you ever been hit with, like, something that was said to you that was so personal that you were like, I have to fight now? In a football game, no, no, 
No. Yeah. No. Okay. No. No. I mean, it's, it would, it's, it's come on. I think defensive guys will say anything. I'll never forget. We played against Washington, and this was the first time I saw Sean Taylor in person. I go out for warm-ups, and then there's a guy standing underneath him. His hair, he had a bush. His hair this big, standing underneath the goalpost with his hands up. Now, Sean Taylor, the safety, is 6'4". So with his his arms up, he looks like he – and I'm at the other end of the field. It looks like he's almost touching the goalpost. Then I see this guy just running around, sideline to sideline, and I'm like, and I'm so I'm asking one of the interns, like, who, who's this kid here? This kid looks like a mother. He's like a defensive end or somebody. He's like, no, no, no. That's the safety Sean Taylor that we've been watching on film all year long. And he's been just killing people. And so obviously we get into the game. And Sean Taylor, he said some things to me in that game that I've never heard before from a from a guy playing. I mean, he said some nasty, ridiculous things that and, 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 and I never really got into it. Give me a sample. Give me, give me, give me half um, of a he, phrase. I mean, he called me some names that that it just it was just bad. They were all bad words. They were all just him cussing me out the entire game after every single play. And I'll never forget this. I promise you. My brother, my brother, and Sean Taylor came into the league at the same time on the same team. So him and my brother were close. So I mean, he was dog cussing me, saying all these bad things. Immediately after the game was over, the, the clock clicked, hit zero. We're still on the field offense, and they're on the field as a defense. He walks up to me, gives me a hug. Man, I love you, man. I love the way you play. I mean, it was, it was and, I'm, and I'm sitting there like, what the hell just happened? This guy has been talking terribly to me all game long, and now he's giving me this hug. It was pretty cool at the end. Safeties have that switch. He definitely had it. I mean, one of the best players I ever played against, obviously. But, I mean, it was it was weird to see, but that that's that was the probably the worst part. Uh, the worst one I've ever had. So I, uh, I w- I did a IG live this week with Max Crosby of the Raiders, and we were talking, and he said, "You know who surprised me?" He said, "Christian McCaffrey talks a lot of shit." What? I was like, "Really?" He said that Christian McCaffrey the entire game was yapping, and I said, "Now," I said, "Let me ask." I saw a few clips where my guy Jonathan Abram started talking shit, and then McCaffrey he goes. I think that's what happened because Abram is like me, 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 the entire yeah. game. And then apparently the entire second half, McCaffrey was just yelling yeah. at everybody. I fucked you up. I fucked you up. Yeah. I love that. Hey, uh, love that. Abram was about to get in a fight yesterday. Um, it was a pretty good confrontation they had going on. And he was, he, he, I think he feels like the defender of everybody on the defense. Like he has to come to the rescue of everybody. And, and really from meeting him last year, that seems like his personality. Like, listen, if there's a fight going on, I'm going to be in it. No doubt about it. Jonathan Abram is the most human form of YOLO that I've ever seen in my entire life. Jonathan Abram is diving into piles five seconds yeah, after the yeah. play is over because he needs to feel some contact. He's the kind of guy where he he's trying to break on everything. Um, like, I consider him a friend, and I get nervous watching him play. I can't imagine what it's like for his actual yeah. family because it's just – it's YOLO all the time. When you hear him talk, you you honestly – it's no doubt about it. That's how he lives his life. That's how he, li- that's how he plays every single game. I, I hope his body stands up. Uh, to the test of time, because he certainly is throwing it around like a crazy man. Um, but I know we're going to kind of get into th- – there's so much football to be played. I mean, we have like 12 more weeks. But this week and the contingencies around COVID and the uncertainty of when the games were going to be played, it's funny because 
we experience it as fantasy football players because you're sitting there and you're going, what do I do? Who's going to play? And, and then you go, wow, let's go to the super macro level and think about like the actual franchises and how they're going to make this happen. Uh, Ingbra, I kind of want to start with you because I feel like you have a good sense of like public health and, and sensibilities. Did you think that you, did you like the way that the NFL handled it this past week? Or did you feel like there was a lot of white spots that you, that you kind of hoped that they were better at addressing? I was just thinking about the NFL, not as an entertainment that we all love, but almost as a business and that the commissioner is sort of the CEO role. And I was thinking that if I was running a giant conglomerate and there was all this doubt and all the employees, the players were all running around confused. Am I playing this week? Am I not? Is there going to be a buy? Are we going to push the Super Bowl back? I would want to be the person out on a podium saying, here's what we did. We planned for this back in March. We had a contingency back in July. We said that if this happened, which was a total possible eventuality, we would do X, Y, and Z. And I feel like I'm just getting little things dropped from Schefter and Tom Pelissero, and then I'm hearing stuff from Bleacher Report. It just seems strange to me that there isn't one person from the NFL coming out and saying, we plan for all of this, right? We're in the middle of a pandemic. The idea that the Titans or the Vikings or the Patriots would have some positive tests was pretty obvious that was going to happen. And it was just shocking to me that there wasn't someone coming out and saying, yes, we have a plan for this and here's what it is. Or they have the ability to swing a few extra bye weeks that, that they built this in. It seems like this is catching them by surprise, which is strange to me. I saw that they were thinking about adding a week 18 as a contingency plan, but I agree with you. The fact that they're thinking about adding that and we're wrapping up week four right now is pretty wild, uh, especially in comparison to the fact that like the finals are about to end for the NBA and we just hoisted a Stanley cup trophy and they were able to figure it out. Uh, I, I also think that I agree with you. I mean, I'm, I'm over here living on Rappaport and Schefter notifications and, and every second it's, they may play Monday, they could play Tuesday. And, and I'm, I'm sitting here going, how is that planning? I agree with you. Guys, what do you guys feel about a bubble? Let's say a playoff bubble. And, let's, and, let's, and, and I, I feel like the playoff seems so far away, January, that we may not even get there based upon maybe the flu season, all this other crazy stuff. What do you feel, let's say the last four weeks of the season, where, where is, now it's nut crunching time, can you can you guys feel like the team should be all in a bubble and play your games? And now we go into the playoffs with just those those teams in the playoffs, those fourteen teams or so in the playoffs. I think though that you're you're nailing Ingber's points, which is we don't even know what's going to happen. Like right now, it's just we're just doing it, and the fact that there hasn't been talks or the visibility. And to Ingber's point, it really is something that Goodell has done the last. I don't know, three, four years, we don't see the guy anymore. We saw him on the draft, and that's it. You know, he, it, there is no presence. There's something very comforting about Adam Silver joining the NBA on TNT or the ESPN pregame show, and he goes on there and he goes, look, we're not really sure, but we're taking all the precautions. And there's visibility and there's honesty and there's transparency. And for the NFL this week to be like, we could play on a Tuesday. That's like, you're not the Mac. Well, like, like, where did that – we can play on Tuesday. You know what the NFL did? They went on with the draft in the middle of the pandemic. They, they had no problem schedule. As, it, it, the NFL, since the beginning of the pandemic, they've always said, we're going business as usual. We're not changing anything. The only thing we're willing to change is the preseason games. That's it. Other than that, and the fans not being in the games, which they obviously wanted, 
um, they're not changing anything. And I feel like that's the approach that they take. Like, hey, oh, we got to cancel the game. Let's move it to Tuesday because we're not changing anything else. That's it. And and they feel like their business is going on no matter what. And and, and I think that's exactly what you guys are feeling and seeing um, that they're figuring it out on the run because they never thought that their business would be affected in that way. It, it kind of feels that way. Ingber, your team, literally only the starting quarterback got COVID and nobody Impossible. else. And now they're going to play the game on Monday night. And I have a number of Patriots friends that are texting me and they're going, is this Bill not wanting to show his Cam Newton offense to the Kansas City Chiefs? <laughs> like I saw Mike Lombardi, former lead assistant for Bill Belichick back in the day, saying it's very weird that he's the only one. And my conspiracy brain is going, and I'm curious if you've gone down the conspiracy route with Bill Belichick. You know, there's a lot more important things in the world going on than football, and I am trying to, as a rule for my life, stay away from the conspiracy rabbit holes, just in general. That one feels like a little bridge too far. I think that's a fun theory, but I would be shocked if uh, if Bill Belichick didn't want to get as much use out of Cam Newton against elite uh, teams in the AFC as he possibly could. That's a, that is a funny one though. I hadn't heard that. It just is odd though that he's the only one, right, well, Westbrook? The person that talks, spits, is around the most people is a quarterback. I mean, you're in a huddle with ten other guys every single play, every single play, and you got wide receivers coming in, different running backs coming in. Your ability to spread a virus is probably the highest, and maybe the middle linebacker on the other side of the ball when you when he's a guy that's, that's throwing out the plays, things like that. But the quarterback is a guy that's going to spread it to everybody because he's around the most people. I think it's it's curious. You know, one thing I've, I've always thought about every case, not just Cam Newton, is I would love to know where these guys were at. Like, how did you catch it? So that maybe the other guys, we can say, hey, you know, you got to stay away from these areas or that area. Where were, the, were you? Everybody that I've talked to have said Cam Newton goes to facility. He's the first one there at five o'clock in the morning. He's always the last one leaving at seven o'clock at night. Where are these other places that you were at between 7 p.m. and 5 a.m.? I want to know those places so I don't go there. I mean, that, that's what I kind of would have always try to figure out when I hear everyone dealing with the COVID situation. Look, I got a COVID test on Thursday. I had to get one before this shoot. Came back negative. Left go negative, Congrats. our president positive. Thank you. I'm running for president in 2024. Uh, but I also was in my head going, so now that I got tested on a Thursday, I'm going to live my life on Friday and Saturday. Then I'm going to go into an airport. Then I'm going to go into an airplane. Then I'm going to land. I'm going to go into a hotel. Then I'm going to go and I'm going to come down here. And then I'm going to walk all over the place. And then I'm going to go to the shoot on Tuesday. But I passed my test on Thursday. And like, that's what I feel like the NFL, they're like testing every day, but it's so fluid in every situation. And I still don't think we as a society really understand it. And the asymptomatic nature of it makes it really tough. Um, but that's why I think that we got a taste of it in week four. I have hope because of what happened with Major League Baseball. If you guys remember that, I was in Atlanta for it. There were the tests with the Miami Marlins and the Philadelphia Phillies. And I was one of those people going, the, the, the season's over. And it really never happened again. So I'm kind of hopeful with that. But my experience just with getting tested for a shoot tomorrow just kind of like really showed me that you, you kind of got to get tested every day. 
because who the hell knows? Like, oh, I touched the table. Well, you, you know? can get but infected. I don't know. I could also be wrong. You can get infected immediately after you take the test. I mean, you can walk out of taking the test, go to the the store, and be infected right away. And you feel like you're good, and all these other things after positive testing, you could still be passing the disease on. Um, it's crazy. I want to say this now. I now feel more comfortable walking around in public with a mask, even if like I just want to wear a mask all the time, because two reasons. One, I feel like I don't have to like make eye contact anymore. Like I feel like I don't have to like do the weird smile to a stranger, and that's like kind of nice. But two. Uh, I talk to myself a lot and it's really nice having something up there when I pass by, I'm like, okay, just walk wherever you want. Like I can talk to people. It's great. I'm, I'm having a great be, time. The real Adam Lefko is coming out because of the mass situation. Oh, I'm talking so much shit. Um, so speaking of Cam Newton, who's an athletic quarterback, Westbrook, you believe that there is a new rebirth mm-hmm. right now of the, of the unicorn mm-hmm. athlete. The white athletic quarterback is here yeah. to stay, huh? You're pretty well. Pumped? Listen, I mean, there there was a long time where the pocket passer, which normally has been the tall six four six five white quarterback, uh, that was taking over the league. I mean, it, no one could surplant him. That's all offensive coordinators want. Then over the last couple of years, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, uh, you know, uh, Deshaun Watson, you, you could throw Vic and all those different guys. African American African American quarterbacks that have the mobility factor, but now we're also seeing something a little bit different. We're talking about Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, as well as Joe Burrow. All starts with J. So that you get first of all, you have to have you have to be tall, you have to be white, and your name has to start with a J and athletic. Um, but these guys are just doing a great job. Uh, first of all, throwing the football accuracy has been a key for all three of these guys. Their ability to affect the game with their legs. They're all big. They're all strong. They can throw from the pocket and outside. It's been impressive to watch. Um, I, I like watching all three of these guys. I mean, it's just been – it's weird because if you're not an elite quarterback and or have a run game, it's just hard to win in this league. But these guys continue to show when they have a run game, when you have a decent defense, their ability to affect the game with their legs – and their arm has just been – it's been incredible. And all three of these guys, obviously, you can't go back to Tyrod Taylor right now with, with L.A. I think Joe Burrow has already shown that he's going to be the real deal. They have some good weapons on that team. Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, those guys. And when you talk about Josh Allen, his ability to make good decisions – we talked about it before – and his ability to make all the throws, um, it's just hard to compete uh, against those guys if you're a defense. It's, it's been pretty cool to see. Let's take it to another level. We saw Carson Wentz on Sunday Night Football yeah. running around, saving his team. Ryan Fitzpatrick does it for uh, that Ryan team. He throws the ball uh, to Miami the other team way too many times. Daniel Jones is one of two quarterbacks that leads his team in rushing. It's Lamar Jackson and Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones, I think, had 50 yards rushing yesterday. Uh, you zoom out a little bit further and you go, wait a second. Aaron Rodgers is like the original mobile white quarterback. Derek Carr was running for a tons of first downs yesterday as well. Uh, Gardner Minshew is super mobile in the pocket. Uh, it's uh, Sam Darnold, Thursday night football, 40-yard run mm-hmm. for a touchdown. He's mobile. It's the guys that truly are not anymore that I worry about them long term. I don't think Kirk Cousins is going to age gracefully because he doesn't have that part of his game. 
And I don't know if you can really be a quarterback anymore in the NFL and not have wheels. It's part of the issue with Matt Ryan. That, that offense would be so much more dynamic if that was a part of the offense. And, and I, it is interesting that they're white guys. I think quarterbacks naturally, um, I think they get given to white guys more. And I think we're still getting over that, even though if you look at like the top six guys in the NFL right now, it is the Lamar, yeah. Pat, Dak, uh, black quarterbacks. Um, but I, I see so much hope for these young guys. Yeah. The ones that you said before, I see so much potential in Justin Herbert. I see so much potential in Joe Burrow. Uh, the only guy that we're not really seeing right now is Tua, and that's that was the one that I had. I think we'll see on. Tua soon. I mean, I think Fitzpatrick, you stop throwing the ball to the other team. You're such a Fitzpatrick. I, I hater. like, I like you Fitzpatrick. Know what? This, I just don't want him to throw the ball to the other team. This is a really good best friends debate. Best friends, David Ingber and Brian Westbrook, I believe, have two polarized viewpoints. I believe that Ingber loves Ryan Fitzpatrick. And I believe that listening to Brian Westbrook, you do not. So, Ingber, why does Westbrook need to begin to love Ryan Fitzpatrick? <laughs> the guy's been on a dozen different teams. He has been a backup. He has faithfully held the, the clipboard every single time he needs to. And then when he comes in the game, you know what he does? He wins football games. He actually is a winner. And this guy just gets contract after contract after contract. And he's not tricking teams into getting these contracts. He is a legit, awesome starting quarterback. He's 37 years old. He dies for first downs like he's 21 years old. He holds every single Ivy League record of all time. And this guy was, oh, he's Harvard. He's not going to actually make it in the NFL. Look at him now. Every single team wants a Ryan Fitzpatrick. That's what it is. Ingram went to Harvard. He's (laughs) He's been on 12 teams for a reason. Because he's not a good starting quarterback. He, because he has so much love to give, Brian Westbrook. He can't just contain that to one silly Here, Think room. about this. That's true. That is true. But think about this. If he would not throw the ball to the other team so often, his numbers probably wouldn't be that bad. I mean, they, they probably wouldn't be that good because he wouldn't have to come from behind every single game if he stops throwing the ball. It's because he's already given the ball to his own receivers. And he's like, look at those guys in the other shirt. I want to give it to a them some to catch too. a ball. He's just so full of love. He's got like five kids. He's just got a great beard. He's Santa Claus. He loves to give. I love when he dresses up as Conor McGregor. I mean, that, that was my favorite part of him. I, <laughs> I, I, I don't hate the guy. I think it's almost time for Tua uh, to, to make an appearance here. Um, I, I think it would be cool to see him and see what he can do. The, the one thing that I want to talk about, about Justin Herbert and Joe Barrow, these are young quarterbacks that have come into the league, that have almost taken the league. And obviously, they're still struggling to win games. But you see the future. You see how things can progress with these young guys with accuracy, with the ability to stand tall in the pocket. And I still think that offensive coordinators now are starting to realize that I don't want a quarterback to just stand in the pocket. I want a quarterback that if it calls for him to run, that he could run the ball, Carson Wentz yesterday. That's what I think offensive coordinators are starting to think more. It's almost like the evolution of the game. We're kind of seeing it a little by little here as we move forward from 2020. I was looking up. I think Joe Burrow turns 24 in December, so he's a little bit more mature. Herbert's just 23. Uh, two is 22. Um, I I look at Joe Burrow and the command that he had on that game yesterday. Now, Joe Mixon's an absolute Get the run game going. But every every time I watch Joe Burrow, he's poised in the pocket or he's running past the defender, and it's just so calm and poised. And I'm just so confident in in his future that it's crazy. Um, 
it's tough to talk about the NFL as a whole because I feel like three of the best teams in the NFL are playing on Monday night. Green Bay, New England, and Kansas City. Here, here's a question. Um, here's a question Atlanta, about Green obviously. Bay. Though. How are they going to do? Devontae Adams is probably going to be out. Alan Lazard is probably going to be out. Who are the guys? Well, they're playing the Falcons. Yes. So that means that Aaron Jones is going to have like eight catches for 150 okay. yards. Um, the the Falcons, to me, um, this is my hope for Atlanta Falcons fans because I, I, it's sort of like you're at lunch and you see someone pour like uh, uh, Billy Madison and they pour like uh, yogurt on someone's head. But for Falcons fans, it's happened like 80 times and I can't continue to make fun of Falcons fans anymore. I think it's really heartless. Um, so now I find myself rooting for the Falcons. And what I'm, what I'm really hoping for is a Julio Jones explosion season. That Julio Jones goes, you know what? My defense sucks, and I'm tired of people saying that I haven't done anything. I'm going off. And that's what I'm hoping for the rest of the season. But the Packers, to me right now, they have the vibe of an, a team that's going to be fighting for the NFC championship. And as I look at the NFC right now, to me, there's, there's really three teams that I think are that level. And I think it's Seattle, Green Bay, and Tampa Bay. And, and for me, there's that next tier down in the NFC, which is the Rams, which is New Orleans, which is San Francisco if they get healthy. But for me, it really feels like there's three teams than everybody else, Seattle, Green Bay, and Tampa Bay. And I don't know if you agree with that. I, I, I like those guys. I mean, I, I'm still questioning Tampa Bay a little bit. I know they looked good yesterday. I, I want to see about their longevity as far as how they can do. But I believe in Russ. I believe in everything that he can do. Um, the question, I think, for, for Green Bay is, is health. Can those guys, can the receivers, the guys that Aaron Rodgers trust, can they remain healthy or get healthy and then remain healthy? Um, I think Tampa Bay has a pedigree. I mean, they have the athletes on offense. I think their defense is is solid. Um, I, I want to see them play some better teams. I want to see them continue to play against better teams to see if they can. The AFC is so much better than the NFC. It's crazy. Crazy. Like, if you look at the standings right now, the AFC has like eight or nine deep. I'm just going to read off the teams in the current standings. Buffalo, Kansas City. Tennessee, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, Indy, Cleveland's three and one, New England's two and one, Vegas, pretty good football team, two and two. Then you get into Cincy, Miami, and it drops off big time. You look at the NFC, Seattle, Green Bay, Tampa, Rams, Chicago three and one. I'm not a big believer in them. Eagles, New Orleans, Carolina, Arizona. I just I look at, at the AFC as like eight nine deep and the NFC is like four deep right now. And last year it was to me all the NFC. Remember it was like the NFC and then the Chiefs and New England. The AFC just has more firepower. I mean, that, that's it. But I, I still think the NFC has just as good an opportunity to win a Super Bowl. The best teams in the NFC, I think, will compete with with the the best teams in the AFC. They're not as deep, but I, I think the NFC has just as – this is what I think about the NFC. I think they have grit. I think they have a tougher, tougher team. That, that's what I kind of feel. Obviously, Baltimore is an outlier because they're a nasty physical bunch, but I, I think that there are tougher teams than the Kansas City Chiefs in the NFC. Um, unfortunately, Kansas City just puts up so many points. They put pressure on, on you in a, in a different way. 
uh, than they're just their toughness. I want to end with this. My friend just texted me, my guy Lapone, and I think it's a funny take. He said, is Carson Wentz the anti-Kirk Cousins? Balls out in prime time and just sucks balls when a dude like Spiro Didas is doing play-by-play. Where <laughs> Kirk Cousins is amazing in your abstract one o'clock game and then falls apart in prime time. I think it's a pretty funny take. I think Carson played against a, 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 a injury-riddled defense yesterday. And, and maybe that's the type of game that he needs to kind of jumpstart the season. I hope, hopefully it is. Who do they play next week, Westbrook? Pittsburgh, coming off a bye. Oh. So, I mean, you're talking about some of the injuries uh, to the offensive line. I mean, Pittsburgh attacks the quarterback, and those boys are hungry. They're going to be healthy, and they're going to be well-rested. All right, I'm, I'm looking it up now. What do you think the line is for that game? Um, five. And where is it? It is in Pittsburgh. I am going to guess seven and a half. The correct answer is e, seven. Okay. I can believe that. Dude, the, the, the Steelers are going to blow them so? out. You know, it, it, it's going to come down to turnovers again. Maybe I'll, I mean, if Carson doesn't commit any turnovers, they'll be in the game. Yes. Do you know why I think they're going to get blown out? Because that was last night was an everything is going right game for the Eagles where they're getting all the turnovers. They're not turning the ball. They're fumbling it. They're landing back on it. That was the worst pick six I've ever seen in my entire life. They, what happened last night is not sustainable. I think the Eagles lose by 20. And I'm willing to put money. You know, that, that pick six was a scout team pick six. So the scout team on teams, so you're going against the first defense, the scout team offense, your job really is to give them a look. But when the quarterback comes down to the quarterback position, you kind of want to throw the ball to the defense to give them some confidence that they're in the right position. That's what that throw looked like yesterday. You hit the linebacker square mm. in the chest and he just runs in. Look like a scout oh. team play. All right, uh, let's make ourselves look stupid to wrap up the podcast. We are going to make predictions on the games tonight because there's nothing better than people listening to the podcast tomorrow and being like, you guys predicted what? Um, Ingber, I'll let you go first. Your Patriots with Brian Hoyer, Brian Hoyer in Kansas City. 375 yards, four touchdowns and no picks. Runs for another touchdown himself as the Patriots win 35-27. Wow. West Westbrook, yeah, you didn't take. Have to think about that at all, huh? You already had that just lined up in your head. I think um, Ryan Hoyer is second behind only Ryan Fitzpatrick, <laughs> in my estimation. <laughs> I think Patrick Mahomes. I don't think he has a field day. I think he he struggles just a little bit against his defense that Bill Belichick puts together. Unfortunately for the the Pats, they score seven points in this game. the The Chiefs win this thing thirteen to seven in a shocker oh. on Monday night. Wait, who, who did you Chiefs. pick? No, I'm the saying Patriots? the Chiefs are still going to win, but they're only going to score 13 points uh, against the Patriots tonight. Um, there's an amazing Hannibal Burris stand-up where he talks about uh, sports broadcasters and how ridiculous it is, and he talks about bold predictions. And he's like, he's like, oh, yeah, I think Brian Hoyer's going to throw for seven touchdowns and 7,000 yards tonight. And then someone's like, whoa, that's a bold prediction. Yeah. That's why this segment's called Bold Prediction. Uh, and nobody ever checks to see. Um, so do not check us. I'm going to say that Belichick 
does what he does in the first half, which is disguise and hide a lot of stuff. And I think he confuses Patrick Mahomes as he does every time they play. And then the second half, Mahomes explodes. I think that Hoyer, um, I have no faith in Hoyer with no Sony Michelle. I'm going to say that the Chiefs end up winning this one 27 to 16 uh, in that game. So it's, and it's a lot of second half points. Um, Falcons, Packers, Westbrook, you go first. How does this one go? It's, it's going to go the same way that all of the Falcons games go. They're going to jump out to a great lead, 21 zip in the first quarter. Whoa. And then Whoa. the Green Bay, uh, the Bing Ray Packers will come back and score 35 straight points. The game will end 35 to 21. Just like that. Shouldn't be a shock to anyone. Ingbert? Well, as you know, I am desperately trying to lose my four-way over parlay. Uh, oh, yeah. Where are you right now? <laughs> I'm, I'm a little nervous, but I got two games tonight. So I said Saints Lions over 54 and a half. That was 64 points total. Browns Cowboys over 55. That was 87 points total. Amazing. Tonight, I have Falcons Packers over 57 and a half and Patriots Chiefs over 53 and a half. And we know that Brian Hoyer is going to put up at least 35 points himself. So I'm just really hoping Falcons Packers is going to be a low scoring game to screw up my 14. It is, inc- it, it is incredible the amount of overs that are hitting right now. Every game is 30, 30 to 30. It's amazing. Um, I am actually going to predict a Falcons win. I think that this is going to be um, actually bizarro Westbrook, what he just said. I actually think that it's going to start off kind of even. I think the Packers are going to get a lead, and I think Matt Ryan's going to roll back furiously, and I think that they win this game. Twenty-eight twenty-seven. Does that hit the over? 28-27. That's 55 points. It's just under. It's great. No, then that's not the final score. The final score is going to be 33-30 Falcons. Uh, beating me over and, by six points. That's rough. Yep, and I think, and I think, it's, uh, I think it's the oh shit Julio game. I think Julio um, – by the way, so I did this thing on my Instagram last week with Allen Robinson where we opened up cards and we tried to find an Allen Robinson rookie card. And Allen's a very reserved guy. And so I would pull out a Devontae Adams rookie and be like, ooh, yo, he's a baller. This has happened to me now with a lot of NFL players. I pulled out a Julio Jones, and he was like, that's the dude right there. The NFL loves a lot of guys, but I believe that Julio Jones is the guy, the most loved NFL player by current NFL players. And I think that this is the beginning of Julio Jones's destruction of the NFL. I think it starts tonight, thirty-three thirty Atlanta. Book it. I like it. Westbrook's looking at me like I'm yeah, crazy. I mean, just, just being able to hold on to a lead is not, it's not what the Falcons do. Exactly, they're playing from behind. I think that's what they need to do. I think they need to purposefully like not play for yes. the first quarter, get a deficit, and then we'll start. Yeah, that might, that yeah. might help them out. The, the, Fal- the Falcons are, if you know horse racing at all, they are a sprinting horse that's trying to be in the Kentucky Derby. They have a good, strong mile, but that last quarter mile, they, they don't got it in them. And so what I'm saying is, is let's stay in the normal pack 
and then go. You know horses, Westbrook. Yeah, you know what I'm talking I do, about. I do. The problem with some horses is that they have a slow sprint and they have a slow finish. And we already know that the Falcons have a slow finish. The, the only way that they've been in these games is because they have a strong sprint to begin the games. And if you, if you take that away, mm. I'm not sure their finish is there. Just don't turn them no, into glue. No, no. Okay. Thank you to everybody out there for listening. If you've been hearing the background music at the hotel and the fact that I'm a thousand percent sunburned after doing this podcast, we appreciate your time. Uh, Westbrook, uh, you're the man. And our Eagles fucking finally won. The field really number good. one team in the NFC um, East right now. Wow. I was just thinking about it. DK, DK Metcalf is similar to Julio Jones. You're talking about size and speed. A little bit. I mean, he's still got some work to do, but I mean, he may be a, yes. a comp to Julio just a bit, too. We could have drafted DK, but we took J.J. Ortega. That hasn't worked out. Hasn't worked out. Think about it. J.J. Ortega-Whiteside couldn't even get on the field yesterday, so we threw the game-winning touchdown to a practice mm-hmm. squad player who I know we said his name earlier, but I don't think Westbrook remembers it. Westbrook, what's the wide receiver's name that got the no touchdown? Clue. I think I'm sure it starts with an F and M's with an M. Travis Fulgham. Yeah. Yeah. Fulgham. Yeah. Man. Uh, for Westbrook. For David Ingram. I had never voted early in any election in my life until this past weekend. I highly encourage you all to vote early and vote safely. Same. I voted too. Felt really good to put in there. Get it done. I'm the L-E-F-K-O-E man. We'll be back uh, Thursday or Friday. I'll still be out here in California trying to get my Brian Westbrook tan on. But until then, (laughs) love you guys a lot. All right, guys.